views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. You know what? Not going to say a whole lot because we got some really cool things for you all to be listening to today. Kevin Condon joining us here today. Summer travel tips. Experts ad- expert advice on getting the most for your money and maximum rewards. Then Michael Blitz joining us here today. I'm really excited about this segment. This is about future technology. And what is it about technology that goes way beyond what we think we know? Could it be that artificial intelligence is going to be even passe? Well, you're going to want to hear from him. And then Joe Picard, the economic and environment, the economic and environmental benefits of recycling. I love this, except I didn't know that scrap recycling was actually an industry that's employing people. So that's going to be kind of cool for everybody today. And wrapping this up, Gene Polozinski, are you ready for this topic? Here is the question. Should there be limits on the First Amendment? Uh, Newseum Institute does a report every year. Newseum Institute now releases its 2017 State of the First Amendment survey. You're going to be fascinated by what this survey says. Um, You're going to hear what uh, each different state might say about it. And we're going to give you information about how you can find out what people feel about news outlets, whether we believe them or not. Is fake news in and real news out? You're going to be surprised about what you hear. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Hey, everybody, welcome. I told you we had some good things coming your way. Listen, expert advice on getting the most for your money, cha-ching, cha-ching, and maximizing rewards. Kevin Condon joining me here today, Prefer Rewards Executive Bank of America. Fasten your seatbelt, learn some stuff, because don't we all want to get those airline tickets? Kevin, great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Pat. You know, I got to tell you, I'm going to admit, true story, true confession. I'm one of these people that before I looked at what you're doing, I really didn't have a clear sense. I'm certainly not optimizing my money. So am I like uh, unusual or do most people don't know how to optimize these rewards? You know, uh, Dr. (laughs) Pat, according to a recent survey we did of our customers, 
we found that three out of five respondents who are planning travel this summer are booking all or most of their vacation on travel rewards points. So there's opportunities for all of us to get better, but many of us out there are taking advantage of those points today and those rewards programs. And the best way we've found to do that and what we recommend is what we call layering your rewards program. So when you book that airline ticket or that hotel uh, at your destination, make sure you're signing up for their loyalty or their frequent flyer programs. Second thing is when you're buying that ticket, make sure your credit card has, has a rewards program attached to it. It can be either cash rewards where you get cash back on every purchase, or it could be travel rewards where you get points every time you make a purchase and you redeem those points for credit towards purchases of airline tickets or hotel rooms or those baggage fees that the airlines charge you now. The last layer is when you get that credit card, ask if the bank where that credit card comes from has a banking rewards program. A couple of good things come from that is you can get more rewards on your credit card through those bank, those bank programs and discounts on other uh, services and products that the bank offers. At Bank of America, we have our preferred rewards program where your credit card uh, rewards are, are increased if you're in our program and you get discounts on things like ATM transactions when you're not using one of our ATMs, which can come in handy when you're taking your summer vacation. So if you yeah. use those layers, the savings can really mm -hmm. add up. Well, and I think that what we're talking about today is that you do have layers. And um, and when you look at it, I, I have a, a friend that does nothing outside of her Bank of America card and preferred rewards. I mean, everything goes under there, groceries and everything. And, you know, for the most part, uh, it's sort of this automatic thing that happens. Can you talk to that? Because a lot of people believe that this, the whole rewards process, you have to spend a lot of time, you have to watch your rewards, you're going to lose them, all of the above. Sure, uh, not at all. And thank you to your friend. Uh, there's two main types of rewards programs that you can take advantage of. One is a, a cash back rewards program. And for us, that's the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card. What that does is gives you 1% cash back on every dollar you spend everywhere, regardless of where you spend. But in addition, it gives you 2% back on those grocery purchases that your friend's making. And it gives you 3% cash back on your gasoline purchases. So if your summer vacation involves a road trip, the Cash Rewards Card is the right card for you because when you're filling up at the pump, you get 3% cash back. You can set it up so those rewards can be redeemed automatically. And if you set it up so that automatic redemption goes into a Bank of America checking account, you get even more rewards. We'll top it up by an, another 10%. So you can set it up to be automatic. Once you're, uh, uh, once you're earning the cash back, you'll get it back automatically. And if it goes into one of our accounts, you get even more. The other way of, of getting those rewards is the travel rewards program that many banks offer. Ours is called the Bank AmeriCard Travel Rewards Card, where every dollar you spend, you get one and a half points. And those points can be redeemed for your summer travel expenses, like those airline tickets, uh, like those baggage fees, and like those hotel rooms that we talked about. Additionally, if you're in the preferred rewards program, that one and a half points that I mentioned can go up to two and a half points if you're taking advantage of the full Bank of America Preferred Rewards Program. So it's an exciting opportunity. And again, you can redeem those points automatically so that they can be applied to uh, your travel expenses. 
Now, uh, before we uh, keep going here and run out of time, uh, how can people find out about this? Because, you know, one of the things I find is important is that, you know, we raise the level of awareness about, you know, how really cool this is. But then there are so, some people that want to go through the details and see, does this fit me? Sure. Uh, and we, we love uh, to provide more information. If you go to www.bankofamerica.com, dot com slash preferred rewards and there's a hyphen between the words preferred and rewards you can get information on all of the great rewards you can uh, you can get with bank of america not only on your credit card but also on those other banking products and services that we talked about now you you're uh, i mean when i look at uh, kevin your resume you're senior vice president relationship products operations at bank of america you're responsible for the rewards program across all products consumer and small business banking um you know this now drops down to the next level many people uh, especially where i live this is small business haven here how do small mm-hmm. businesses fit into this dialogue Sure. Uh, we, we have um, exa- uh, the exact same credit card rewards programs for consumers and small businesses at Bank of America. The small business cash rewards card gives you those, that 1% cash back on all your purchases. Additionally, the travel rewards card gives you those one and a half points on all of your uh, uh, every dollar that you spend, and you can redeem those for travel expenses as well. So the same benefits that you can get in, in your personal life, you can apply to your small business too. So let me ask you this. Are we talking a few dollars? Because some people think, oh, just a few dollars. But the way my friend uses it, it literally has turned up to a substantial amount. And I think that's important. The second question really is about this idea of travelers and airlines. And I think we need to say a little bit about the relationship between these rewards and flying. Because sometimes it's about flying and, and, and tickets. The other times it's about savings. Can you talk specifically to that? Sure. Uh, on the first uh, question that <clears throat> you mentioned, the savings can really add up. As I mentioned, many, many of our customers are, are um, redeeming their rewards and saving 100% of their travel expenses this summer. So the, uh, as you make your routine purchases, the cash back or those travel rewards points really start to add up. And if you accumulate them, they can really go a long way to uh, helping stretch your vacation budget. Um, With respect to booking those airline uh, checks, a couple of tips we recommend. The first is that you be strategic in the days that you book your flights. If you have any flexibility at all, we recommend that you book your flight on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or a Saturday. Those are the least traveled days. And so uh, airlines tend to discount their tickets. And you can often save between 10 and 40% on the cost of your flight if you go on one of those three days versus if you travel on a Friday or a Sunday. We recommend that you stay away from Fridays and Sundays if at all possible because those tend to be the busiest days for airlines and therefore that's when they charge the most. So if you can be strategic about when you're and flexible about when you travel, those savings can really add up. Well, you know, I know you're going to run off to another uh, um, uh, interview, but here's what I want to ask you about this. I want to ask you, what are some of the little known facts about this? Because people will go to the website, but even for you, there's got to be a couple of ahas in here. <laughs> sure, Dr. Pat. The, the, 
the hidden gem that I like to call that we have in our rewards programs is our museums on us program, where if you're, you're, any of your purchases, it should be made on a credit cards rewards program and you can start saving for your future trips that way. But once you get to the destination, our museums on us program <clears throat> gives you free general admission. If you're a bank of America credit or debit card holder on the first full weekend of every month at over 170 museums, and cultural institutions across the country. So if you go to museums.bankofamerica.com, you can see that list of those museums. All you have to do is show your debit or credit card and you get in at no cost. And it's really something that uh, I wish more of our customers took advantage of because it's such a great program. It's something I use with my family. It's the first full weekend of every month. The 4th of July is on a Tuesday. Many people are taking that long weekend. July 1st and 2nd is the first full weekend of the month. A great time to take advantage of Museums on Us. Yeah, I love this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, please give the website one last question for you. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? Uh, that I want my personal message to you is really think about layering those rewards. If you take advantage not only of the, the loyalty programs from where you're flying or where you're traveling, but also take advantage of both the credit card and the bank rewards programs, you, the savings really add up over time. It's a great, it's a great way to think about man, maximizing your budget for summer vacations. Bankofamerica.com slash preferred dash rewards. Wow. Thank you so much, Kevin. Have a super, super day. Mm. So many juicy things for you to be able to do that you essentially are not going to have to fork out any more money about. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Miss any shows during the week? We've got you covered. With the free Transformation Talk radio app, you'll have access to all of the past week's shows in the palm of your hand. Tune in to Transformation Talk radio anywhere you go with our free app for any of your devices. Check out our app in the App Store and Google Play Store today. Hey, everybody, I got to tell you, we are super excited about talking with Michael Billets today. Here's why. You all have heard us talk about the development here on the network of new technology that doesn't exist in broadcasting and our positive media mojo. But we have not really had a way to talk about it until today because Michael is going to tell us everything we need to know about where technology is going. Michael, it's great to have you here. Tell us a little bit, if you could. This I know it's a short period of time and there's lots to talk about. This is beyond leading edge. New tech trends, maybe, but tell us about what excites you most about what we're about to announce here. Well, I think what, what excites me most about technology is that we've finally gotten to a point where it's no longer the technology expecting people to adapt to it. Rather, artificial intelligence and analytics and the rest is that technology is actually starting to adapt to people. 
and that's making it easier to use, and it's going to empower people to take more control of the way that they work and live. And so we're about to change the world one person at a time. So you're you are, uh, and and again, I, I I'm talking about your role. Uh, tell us about the company, but also more importantly, you know what it is you see as. Uh, an R&D sort of responsibility. Tell us about this and how this has come to be a passion for you. Sure. So Accenture's the largest global consulting firm that there is. So we're mm-hmm. 400,000 people over 120 different countries you know, in essentially every industry. That mm-hmm. And it's our mission to work with companies to figure out what technologies are out there, how they change what's possible for them to do and how we can actually transform these companies into a new generation of tech company. And our technology vision is really that first step in the process. It's our look three to five years out to understand what's new, what's possible, what the opportunities and what the disruptions are that are coming down the line. And then more specifically, what are the steps that companies need to take today in order to be able to start driving to that so they're not disrupted by other companies that do it in the future. And you've gathered information. Let's talk about this because I love what what happens when we actually gather information and we ask people. You know, we are an independent broadcast network and everything we're in the middle of designing came from asking our audience, listeners, people that don't listen, why don't you listen to us? But what is it that you discovered and how'd you go about, you know, uh, you know, this compilation of data, so to speak? Yes. I mean, we really utilize the fact that one Accenture is so big, Mm -hmm. you know, to gather experts from across the world, from across industries. You know, we do, you know, surveys, you know, we talk to academics, we talk to startups, you know, we talk to big companies, you know, but it's, as you said, is the, we feel like it's our job and we do this, you know, as a full-time job, you know, Mm -hmm. year round impulse to understand what's changing because things really are changing that fast that, you know, you skip a year and you look up and you're like, oh, it's not the way that it was last year. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's not the way that it was last month, right? Exactly. Uh, So how do we get out in front to create a vision? Because I'm really struck by the fact that, you know, speaking with you, looking at the report, um, there is a vision, but it's not a vision alone. It's a vision with an action, right? It is a vision with an action. And I, I think that that's really the point is that what we realize is that, you know, especially when you talk about like global 2000 companies, is that these were companies that were built in a different time period. Mm-hmm. Is that the expectation for an auto manufacturer or, you know, a power company or even an insurance company, you know, was that, you know, change came on, you know, on the order of magnitude of years or decades, not on a matter mm-hmm. of days or months. You know, and so what companies are really having to do is they're having to step back and say, if I were to build my company or even my industry from scratch today with artificial intelligence, with augmented reality, with advanced analytics, what would I build? And then that becomes the starting point for saying, so how do I get myself from there from where I am today? 
You know, I love that you brought that up. Let's talk about a couple of examples of companies doing this because I love that you brought that up. You know, we're we're in a scenario where we had to decide, are we going to just put some patchwork on um, technology or are we going to start with a clean slate and not look at broadcasting, but maybe look at what people really want? Not every company has that, uh, so to speak, that that advantage. But you looking at companies that have created this, what are some of the examples that people might point to here? Yeah, so I'll give you one that it's, it's everybody's familiar with, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe they're not even realizing they're doing it, which is uh, CVS. <laughs> you know, most people look at CVS and they're like, it's a corner store or yeah. maybe it's a pharmacy. Yeah. You know, but they have decided that they're going to reinvent themselves and they're going to do preventative health. And so their entire goal is that they are not a pharmacist anymore. They're a healthcare company. And wow. so they're using technology to try to figure out how I can change the way that people take control of their health. And that's everything from online prescriptions to using your smartwatch to tell you when to take a pill all the way to using your computer at home to do doctor visits over webcam. And it's this way that says, how do I take healthcare as not just something I do in the hospital or something I just do, but actually bring technology to allow people to control it and more importantly, prevent a lot of the issues that happen when people aren't taking care of themselves. Can I ask you a question about that? And I know this is not about any particular company, but what what we have found is there are companies like, you know, yours, like, like CVS that are doing these great things. And our dilemma is it's not, it's actually an opportunity to tell the world about them because the world doesn't know that or cannot connect the dots, so to speak. So how do we connect the dots between what the average everyday person is really looking for really needs and these innovative companies that are literally doing it? Well, I mean, the, the, the connection is the, it's really already starting to happen. I just mm-hmm. think that people don't realize it. Right. You know, is that the reality is that even if you don't know that CVS is transformed to a healthcare <laughs> company, chances are you're still using their online system in order to refill your prescriptions. And more and more of the, when you use that, it's going to start to say, you know, hey, you weren't able to refill this prescription. Would you like to contact a doctor at home? And they're going to be like, oh, well, of course I can. You know, but all of these little things are really starting to creep into our everyday lives, you know, and then the fact of the matter is, is that some of the big things we know about anyways. I mean, think about uh, automated driving. There are no automated cars for sale, but everybody knows that the future of the automotive industry is going to get us to a point where cars basically drive themselves. And that's going to be a huge change from a lot of different perspectives that, you know, people are really starting to see. I think it's just becoming normal that the change is happening. And honestly, I think a lot of times people don't realize that it is because they're just used to change. Well, you know, what do you think, which industry, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot because if anybody's going to know it's you're going to be you. What do you think the industry out there that could most benefit from what this particular trend, what, what industry could most benefit, but perhaps is not even knowing that they could benefit from it? Well, I, I think most of them know they can benefit, but I think that the one that I'm the most excited about is when you start to think about healthcare. 
Yeah. And and the reason that I think healthcare is so exciting, you know, is that it's a culmination of it's a huge business opportunity. It's got a potential to create an enormous number of jobs and do social good. And so it really kind of per, you know, presents this opportunity for us to do something big and real. Yeah. So let me give you a, a real specific yeah. example of what I mean. So you look at what IBM is doing with their Watson, you know, artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. You all remember it back for when it won Jeopardy. Is the what they're trying to do now is create an AI that can help doctors to diagnose patients. Now, if you look at it really narrowly, you know, and most people fear, you know, when you start thinking about, you know, artificial yeah. intelligence, if you look at it narrowly, it's a conversation about, well, are doctors going to be replaced by AI? And right. I don't think that's really going to happen. Mm. But if you kind of take that step back, what you realize is that it fundamentally changes what you have the possibility to do in terms of providing healthcare. Is the now, it's not about doctors. If I've got an AI that can help diagnose patients, now I can have nurses provide a larger amount of healthcare that used to only be able to be provided by doctors. Or mm-hmm. I can allow orderlies to provide a level of healthcare that used to be provided by nurses. Or I can allow people with no medical training to provide very basic levels of healthcare in areas that have no access whatsoever. And so now what we're talking about is all the rural areas in the U.S. that have little to no access to healthcare, to urban areas that are underserved, is that suddenly you add more healthcare or better healthcare. You start thinking about China or rural India or rural Africa, and you have areas that have no healthcare whatsoever, and we're talking about billions of people with no health care. And so now you're suddenly thinking about industries that are going to create enormous amount of economic growth, enormous amounts of jobs because you need people to build the buildings, provide the supplies and products to be the lay people, you know, to be the orderlies, to be the nurses, you know, who are going to do all of these things. And you're now talking about something that's incredibly positive for society, but also very positive for jobs, individuals, and companies. Well, I want to thank you for today. I have one last question. How can people find out more and what's your personal message? Sure. So people can find out more by going to www.accenture.com forward slash technology vision, or you can just Google Accenture Technology Vision, and that's A-C-C-E-N-T-U-R-E. And as for my personal message, my personal vision, what I want people to realize, you know, and I think what's most important is that this new change Mm -hmm. is the new normal. Yeah. It is never going to stop. Is the every time you look up there is going to be something new and I think that the companies and the individuals who are going to thrive are the ones who really take that as a personal challenge to make sure that they're always looking to figure out how they change themselves, how they change their companies, and then most importantly, how they help the people around them to that change too because the more that you do it together, you know, the more that you do it as a group, the faster you guys are all going to succeed. I love it. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for your time. And we will make sure we are going to have a big, big conversation about this. Thanks, Michael. Have a great day. Uh, you too. Everyone, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our real house to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Hey everyone, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Many of you have heard me talk about the first recycling campaign that I believe was done in the country, I could be wrong, from the state of New Jersey. And how did it get started? Well, I worked for a little company called AT&T, and we were asked to put a campaign together to get all of our employees energized about why it's important not to take that piece of paper and throw it in the garbage. What did we create? The Purple Paper Eater. It went throughout the organization of AT&T, and at the time, the governor picked it up. To this day, I believe recycling plays one of the most important roles in our, well, what should I say, uh, our effort to save the earth. But Joseph Picard, joining me here today, serves as the chief economist and director of commodities at the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries in Washington, D.C., conducts research, analyzes what it is about this scrap marketing and the developments in it that literally literally can create some amazing things out of what we throw away. Joseph, it's great to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I I told a little story about recycling because, yeah, it is true. Uh, The psychology of recycling is, 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 is very important in the world we live in today. But the breakthroughs that we have seen since those little blue bins hit the office is really, it's really amazing, isn't it? So what is it that you've discovered that not just says it's the right thing to do, but it has amazing economic impact in the United States? Well, that's absolutely true. You know, I think when a lot of people think about the recycling industry, they think about the little blue bin, they think about curbside, and they think about the environmental benefits, which are really important. But let's not overlook the fact that recycling also has tremendous economic benefits as well. And so ISRI commissioned this update to our job study that found the scrap recycling industry in the United States annually generates over $116 billion in economic activity while supporting more than 530,000 jobs. Well, you know, what we're talking about is really a different perspective, though, on what we used to think recycling is and what it is now. So, you know, what's really important in in bringing to the forefront is what we can get excited about. I mean, we are recycling all sorts of things and creating new things out of it. Isn't that what we're really talking about here? And if we are taking recycling, creating new things, then that means new businesses, new economies, so forth and so on. So, you know, what is it that you have uh, discovered about the impact of this? And then specifically, isn't this also a way to redefine jobs I mean, we're really looking at, wait a minute, recycling, jobs, economy. I mean, isn't this as much garbage as we have and as much things as we have to recycle? Aren't we really looking at multiple layers of effect here? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the, the scrap recycling industry is extremely dynamic and innovative, you know, and it has to be in order to react to, to constantly changing market conditions and a constantly changing flow of material that's coming through the recycling stream. So in addition to generating all that economic activity and supporting jobs, we're also generating tax revenue as well. You know, in the United States alone, the scrap recycling industry is generating more than $13 billion in federal, state, and local taxes. So it's a really innovative industry that has tremendous economic benefits, both in terms of tax generation, in terms of job generation, and in terms of economic growth. And I think, you know, as we move forward and we're uh, becoming more concerned as a society with sustainable development in the context of, you know, economic growth, I think the role of recycling is going to become even more important over time. Well, let's talk about some of the breakthroughs we've had and what your research is doing. Um, you know, for many people, this may not be an understanding of how this could benefit anybody. Um, let's make sure we do this. What is uh, the best way for people to find out more about you? And there are some upcoming ways that people can get involved in. How can they find out about this? How can they find out about um, what's going on here in the organization and how the research can affect them directly? Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage people to learn as much as they can uh, about their recycling programs in their localities, um, but also for more information about the benefits of recycling more about the scrap recycling industry and the role that ISRI plays in promoting recycling, I would certainly encourage your listeners to go to our website, which is isri.org. That's I-S-R-I.org. Uh, and for more information about this particular job study, they can go to isri.org slash economy. Okay, I want to ask you a question. Other than what we've already talked about, yeah. I want to ask you if there was something in the report that you found, that you saw, where you said, what, really? I think some of the biggest uh, results from the study show that our industry continues to grow. You know, we've had turbulent times in the commodity markets. Uh, economic growth has not been as quick as we would have liked to have seen. Uh, but our industry continues to add jobs and add to economic growth in the country. You know, $116 billion uh, uh, economic activity generated by our industry is quite significant. And I think it's going to continue to grow going forward. And that's on top of all the environmental benefits that recycling provides, including diverting material from landfills, uh, including reducing the need for drilling and mining new materials, and also cutting down on energy costs, which thereby reduce emissions going into our atmosphere. So taking all those environmental and economic benefits combined, it's really a tremendously uh, uh, successful story of the scrap recycling industry. A um, couple of things that I was really struck by in the report. First of all, 130 million metric tons of scrap are recycled each year. Um, and then when I started to look at the report and start to look at the impact on taxes, uh, and I started to look at even beyond all of that, started to look at what you put in the, when you all put in the report about jobs, I had a couple of aha moments and here's what they were. Um, one was that when you think about recycling and you think about, you know, how do you take products that were thrown out, turn and turning them into <clears throat> products that we can use again, I thought it would be limited to certain supplier or supplier impacts. 
<clears throat> but you have two things. You have something called supplier impact and induced impacts. And I, I wanted to know what that is. Sure. So if you think about any industry, in the scrap recycling industry in particular, our industry is going to directly employ uh, a certain number of, of people. So the direct employment from uh, the scrap recycling industry in the U.S. is about 155,000 jobs. That's directly employed by scrap uh, recycling companies. But there are a number of firms and jobs that are supported uh, by supplying uh, materials, equipment, and services to our uh, industry members. Think about peddlers who are bringing scrap into a scrapyard or um, utilities that are providing electricity to scrapyards and other suppliers of equipment and material. Those jobs are also dependent on our industry and they also uh, are part of the tally in terms of total job supported. And then the induced portion of uh, the study looks at the spending by employees of scrap companies and employees of suppliers and where that money goes to within the economy. So if I'm employing um, 100 people, their salaries they're going to take and they're going to spend a portion of that in the wider economy and that has mm -hmm. ramifications throughout uh, the economy. And th the, those three pieces together, the direct, indirect, and induced, are used to estimate the total economic impact of scrap recyclers. You know, Joe, I got to tell you one thing I love about this, and I cannot say this enough for the people out there. Please go to the website, is, as in Sam, ri.org. Now, why am I saying that? Because what you all have done is we can click on the state. So, for example, for those of you thinking in Washington state, eh, not so much, we're on top of it. Listen to this. 18,712 jobs. Wages. I think that number says billion. I can't even believe that. Economic impact. Yep. Is that another billion kind of number in here, Joe? That is correct. Yep. 4.8 billion economic impact just in the state of Washington alone. Well, People think, and this is why we're so excited to be talking with you, and I know this interview's got to be over now, but I got to tell you this. I hope at some point in the future, you will come back on our Green Talk radio channel, uh, and we will really drill down about what this report means, because most importantly for people, if you're thinking, for example, wait a minute, I live in some state that's not affected, uh, think again, right? Let's think again. Isn't that what we're saying? Let's think again. Absolutely. It's in every state and every district in, in, the, in the country. So I would love to come back on and talk about okay. it more with you. I know you got to run. I'm telling you, I love this. I really spent a lot of time on your website. I, 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 I hate to actually leave this website. As my dad was a metal worker, I understand metal. You know, for me, I know about welding. I know about how to use these things over and over and over again. And I will tell you, growing up in a family where metal never got thrown out, okay, can you feel me on this? I'm telling you, this is something we've got to look at. And it isn't just metal, is it? Aren't we talking about metals, nope. plastics, everything, right? That is correct. Absolutely. All right. I hope you'll come back, Joe. Thank you. I'd love to. Thanks so much right. for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we got, I, I, honestly, folks, I just can't go through all of this. We're going to get him back. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back.
Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a fascinating topic for our good news segment uh, this week on the Dr. Patro and Transformation Talk Radio. Here's the question, everybody. Should there be limits on the First Amendment? Should there be limits on the First Amendment? Uh, Newseum Institute releases 2017 State of the First Amendment Survey. Joining me here today is Mr. Gene Polozinski, COO of the Newseum Institute. Uh, And beyond that, uh, what Gene is bringing us to the table with, he's a veteran of multimedia journalism. He writes lectures. He's interviewed regularly on First Amendment issues. This is something that all of us are eager to hear more about. I mean, by the way, who knew? A survey. Gene, it's great to have you on the show. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Yeah, I, I know we're one in a long parade of surveys, but we've been doing this now for 21 years, and so we've got some history behind it. And and uh, I should say the New Zealand Institute's apolitical, so we don't lobby, we don't litigate, right. um, so that we really just want to know what Americans think about their core freedoms. Well, I, can I ask you a question before we dig deep into this? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You know, there are years when you've done the survey and you probably kind of like, oh, okay, interesting. This year, is there a fundamental difference in the energy around it? One thing that that bears a lot of study, so we're not just Mm -hmm. going to take this as a a symbol number and go on. There was a 20-point drop in the number of Americans who think that there's bias in the way the news media operates. And I was, frankly, very surprised to see that in an era in which the role of media and the charges of fake news uh, has been so prevalent. But... I will tell you, built into the survey as well was a counter, because there's also a large number of Americans who only go to get news uh, from a source that aligns with their own political view. So I, you know, I have to say, if if I agree totally with what you're saying, Pat, mm-hmm. I don't bias. You're you're right. Well, that's not how the First Amendment's supposed to work. It's the marketplace <laughs> idea. So we're going to watch that. We're actually going to dive back into that number uh, through this year and see what. What does that mean? Do Americans really think that the media is doing a better job, or is it just an increasing number of Americans who who only listen to Rachel Maddow or mm-hmm. Tucker Carlson and say, "Well, they're right," and because that's what I believe. You know, about our our way our democracy operates. Well, Gene, you you just nailed it because here here's really if we step back from let, let's t- take a look for a minute and and d- dig into the survey. Let's take a look at the psychology of media, if there even is such a thing. There is, and so when people are polarized in life, it doesn't have to be about media. It doesn't have to be pol- politics. But if we are polarized about something, then isn't it true? we will lean towards that place where we feel, quote, dare I use it, safe. And isn't the First Amendment a safety issue as well? Well, you know, it's safety for the country in the sense yeah. that uh, you don't have to set off a bomb in this country to get hurt. 
because yeah. there's no government stopping you from speaking. And that's been a huge strength in our society to, to say even the fringe and extreme viewpoint will have a place where they can try to convince people. And frankly, throughout our nation's history, you know, the concept of women having to vote. At one time, I know young people won't know this, but at one time that was considered a fringe and extreme issue, even to the point where women were jailed for saying that they wanted to be independent of, of their male uh, uh, husbands or, or brothers or, or fathers. Uh, you know, the First Amendment empowered women to say, no, I, uh, we, you know, we have every right to have the vote. So I, I worry a little bit. You talk about polarizing, even on that bias question, 62% of liberals say the media reports the news without bias, 27% of conservatives. Uh, it was interesting that that split wasn't among men and women or even geography. It's no. just on your political viewpoint where you see the media so differently. Well, and let's talk a little bit about this survey, if we could, because um, you're right about things. You know, we are speaking out more. As a matter of fact, this may seem benign, but um, there is outrage, if you can believe it, over the pay grade that uh, uh, that Wonder Woman, the actor uh, Gal Gadot, got for her role out outrage. So speaking out is something we're learning to do again. I'm a little bit older per probably than you. So I come from a generation where if you didn't speak out, nothing got done. But what does this survey now bring to the forefront for us? What should we be most mindful of? I think it's this idea of hearing from people we don't like, uh, if only to be better prepared to argue against them, in my view. Uh, I think it's the idea of uh, permitting uh, and getting engaged, uh, permitting people to speak, but getting engaged to talk about it. You know, I, I was bothered by the fact that 74% of the survey respondents said, well, fake news shouldn't be protected by the First Amendment. Well, that raises the question of what's fake news? Who's going to determine that? The last thing we want is a, is a government official, a national nanny, telling us what we should or shouldn't think uh, or read or know. So I, I think... Um, this survey is a call to action to get more involved. You know, at the time when we can get more news from more sources more easily than at other, any other time in humanity, there's a responsibility to get involved and, and make some, you know, I think healthy skeptic kind of skepticism, have healthy skepticism about it, but not just sit there and let somebody pour the news into your brain. Go out there and spend a little time trying to verify it or see yeah. what multiple points of view there are. Uh, yeah. Get off the sofa. Uh, Kathleen Carroll used to, um, as the Associated Press had a great line, give a damn. Yeah, uh, I think we need to give a damn a bit more about truth. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I've done two posts um, about the Affordable Care Act and about health insurance, and they weren't posts of outrage. What I did is I clicked on, I, I put the link in the social media Facebook page that comes from the statistics just on Medicaid. And I said, we've got to get educated. Please look for your state and read this because isn't that what we're talking about? But let's get back to your point. If we were to take away, let's just play this through, our First Amendment rights, freedom to speak. We know what happens in countries where that happens, right? We know what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Why would we even want to do that? Zone. Right. Well, Why I, would you I, want to know, do that? There's a, comfort, there's a comfort zone for some people. Mm -hmm. You know, looking to somebody to tell us what to do, then you don't have to think about it. Uh, but of course, the, you forget that if, if you know, you're okay with it at the moment because that person says something you like, what happens when you don't like it? 
uh, what happens when your school isn't funded and another school is, and you're not able to speak out about that? And let's put it in very personal terms. You know, when, when you find that the streets are being paved in all the neighborhoods except yours, or that you, you worry that your child's school lunch is, uh, you know, contaminated food and nobody's held accountable for that. And we, we, I think we get so consumed at times over the sort of squishy national debate over political reporting. We forget the tremendous value in knowing uh, from an honest reporting of facts about all those parts of our lives that we depend on others to get information for us, uh, of being able to speak out on issues that count. Frankly, being able to go to the church or the synagogue or the temple yeah. uh, of our choice, uh, we forget that because we take it for granted in America. It's like air. Well, we're learning very quickly by both examples, I think the fear in this country and examples, as you point out, worldwide, these things aren't automatic and you have to defend them every day. You know, there's there's a saying here, Gene, that, you know, you don't know what you have till you, till you don't have it anymore. I think there's a like a, a song, maybe a rock song, you know, you don't know what you, right? You don't know what you have till you yeah. don't have it. And, right. you know, even as far as, and you know this and I know this, that we have had in other countries, we have had arguments that the Holocaust didn't exist. And the only right. way that that got to be shown as really fake news was people, you, you know, people had to, women had to go to court to defend, wait a minute, it does. See, we're really saying here, this is a country of participation. Isn't that what the First Amendment and this survey is really talking about? You know, that's an outstanding point uh, that, that we are. I love that. We're a nation of participation. You know, and, and I also remind people engagement is not endorsement. You know, if you and I vehemently disagree, if I give you my attention, I go to a place where you're speaking to a group. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean I endorse your viewpoint. Oh, no. Uh, you know, it means that I'm interested in knowing what you have, if only to, to be able to have a rally next week where I say that was totally wrong. So I love that idea that we are a nation of participation. I think that's a great thing that Americans should keep in mind on this uh, July 4th holiday. Um, let me ask you a question. Is there any information about age demographics and, the, and, and how the survey panned out by age? There absolutely is, and you can find that all at museum.org. We, we have a full report up, and you can find things. You know, For example, on the bias question, I was fascinated by the fact that it's the baby boomers who are the most supportive of the press, and it, it drops back down. You almost have a similarity between 18 to 29-year-olds and those over 65 um, in terms of the group with the least confidence in the press. So it, you know, it's, uh, there's some interesting things, but we break it down by gender, uh, geography, uh, age groups. So uh, you can find that information all at museum.org. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I think that's about. Do you mind me just throwing this at you for you to think no, about? Please. If you look at that middle, I don't know what to call it, middle generation, what did that middle generation experience? 9-11. And what does that mean about 9-11? 9-11, because, you know, if you talk to folks that experienced that as teenagers, what they learned was they literally thought 9-11 and the war on Iraq was one thing, only to find out later it was another. And, you know, when I talk to people of that generation, they look at me like, you know what, if that was a hoax, I don't know what to believe. And what do you think uh, is the influence of when something mega happens that we then realize is not really true? I think you've put your finger on a very important part, which is the news media, I think, self-admitted 
failed us there on the so-called weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Uh, I think 9-11 was a shock to the psyche of the country. Yeah. And there was a real question. Our, our, you know, right now, this year, we found that um, about oh, 23% said that the First Amendment goes too far on the rights it guarantees. Um, eight months after 9-11, that number was almost 50%. So I've been saying for some time now, based on our survey, that the great threat to the First Amendment is often not the debate over media or over petition or whatever. It's fear. Mm-hmm. We might grow so fearful as a country that we surrender our rights. And I'll tell you, the, as you pointed out, not only is it felt most deeply the loss of something you have when you lose it as opposed to never having it, try and get a law to restrict freedoms reversed once it's in place. That's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to be on guard that this fear, whether it's a war on terror uh, whether it's this, uh, I think, largely empty debate over, over media bias, mm-hmm. uh, on a, when you look at media across the board, uh, we don't let somebody pass legislation, uh, weaken the libel laws, for example, in ways that we're going to regret down the road and it's going to be too late to pull it back. Uh, two questions, and I know we're, we're going to be short of time. One, I was really shocked and thrilled where the question was media should be a watchdog of the government. And I looked at the percentage of that and people are saying, yep, that's true. So I don't know that people really believe it's fake news if that large percentage think that that should be the, the watchdog of a government. Well, I, I, right. And I, I take solace in that despite all the you know, hoopla <laughs> over so-called fake news and media bias. You know, two-thirds of us, more than two-thirds of us, still yeah. see the media as at a watchdog role. Now, again, a little warning flag, a little tremor. That number's down a few percentage points from what it was last year, which was down a few percentage points from the year before. So there's an erosion there, but still very, very strong majority saying we need you to be the media mm-hmm. to be a watchdog in government. Yeah, with all the publicity about fake news, you would have expected that erosion to be not just an an erosion. That's almost like losing an entire mountain into the ocean, though, based on the perception. (laughs) I would have been been so disheartened had Americans abandoned that idea. Uh, Last question, the one that I was shocked about. Leakers should be prosecuted. I thought that there would be way more of a, yeah, they should. But in my opinion, it's almost a dead heat. What do you think? Well, that's it. And I think Americans are divided on it. And, you know, and the, the, the positive is these people took an oath to protect those secrets and that they violated that oath and they should be prosecuted. Uh, other people who say, even if they did some harm, uh, they did a large, the larger principle was to alert us to the government, for example, surveilling us in ways we didn't know before and uh, and our involvement in Iraq or in Iran, uh, our strike yeah. in the Middle East is based on faulty premises. But we're, as a country, we're really taking, a, I think, a, you know, a, a real measure of whether we need to have these people step out, violate their oath and tell us what we need to know. Uh, and of course, there's also maybe a little bit of a sophisticated recognition that everybody, including people in the Trump administration, every administration leaks like the sieve. Oh, yeah. Sometimes just to test drive an idea. So yeah. not all the leaks are, are criminal. So, again, I think the American public has a very sophisticated view of, of leaks, and they're giving us that answer back in a, in a very divided way. Well, I know you have to go. Uh, and, uh, boy, there's so many more questions that you and I could get into. Um, but I, we will post the survey and let folks know. La- last thing, how can people find out more, and what's your personal message? Well, uh, the personal message is get engaged, give a damn. And you can find out more information at Newseum, N-E-W-S-E-U-M dot org, Newseum dot O-R-G. Yeah. And isn't there a way for people to give you feedback, too, at the site? 
Yeah, they can uh, certainly they can they can write to me my my name and uh, my email address. It's G Polisinski at museum dot org. Uh, happy to get your messages and and I'll try to respond. Awesome. Thank you, Gene. Thank you for all that you do. We're going to take a short break. Everybody, we'll be right back. <laughs> 